Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm Bobby Burton, joined by Paul Wadlington of Inside Texas, columnist, opinion leader, thought thought provoker, <laughs> uh, also an author uh, of Thinking Texas Football. Uh, Paul, you and I today are going to be talking uh, a lot about the Big 12's move uh, to add Colorado, as well as the Pac-12's most recent move of adding Oregon and Washington. Uh, and on top of all of that and how it all melds together, and impacts the University of Texas and the Longhorns' future. Uh, welcome in, Paul. Uh, thanks for your time. And also, please tell people how they can get your book that's now available, 177 pages of nothing but Texas Longhorn football and their opponents this year. Absolutely. Thanks, Bobby. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for the, the plug. You can go get the physical copy. That's the, the paper copy at Amazon. It'll be in your hands in 24 to 48 hours, depending on your Prime membership. Or you can go get the e-version, on Apple, or you can go to Smashwords. Smashwords is an independent publisher. If you want to support the little guy, uh, they are agnostic to platform, meaning you could buy that on your Kindle. You can buy it for your iPad. Just make sure you select uh, the correct thing and, and Smashwords will direct you to buy it. Uh, I've gotten great reviews. And if you're on the fence, you got your toe dipped in the water, just go read the reviews on Amazon, go read the reviews on Apple and then make your decision. I think if you jump in and you're a big Longhorn fan or even just a big 12 analyst, I think you'll love it, and I think you'll enjoy the money and consider it well spent. Big Twelve analyst, let's in quotes. Let's let's yeah, start. Yeah, well, huh? um, I'll have that title. I'll have that title for one more year. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about that, uh, Paul, uh, if you don't mind, uh, because Texas right now um, in a situation where the Longhorns struck out and said we're going to the SEC. They in, they in Oklahoma. I said struck out or. They struck out on a, a path, I guess, is the best way to put it. The, and that kind of cited, that kind of created this tidal wave of issues. The Big 12 then grows and grabs Central Florida. Uh, they grab Cincinnati. Uh, then they also uh, go out and get BYU as well as the University of Houston. Okay. That put uh, the onus on the Pac 12 to make a decision. But what happened in the interim? is the Big 12 went out and secured a TV rights deal that the Pac-12 and their commissioner with the loss of USC and UCLA, George Kliakoff, could not match. And therefore, we have further disarray in college football and college sports in general. Colorado announces earlier this week it's, going, it's coming to the, to the Big 12. Washington and Oregon on Friday – to the, to the uh, Big Ten with reduced fees and uh, yep. uh, amounts. What are, what are your thoughts on this upheaval in college sports? It's what I've thought is going to happen for the last decade. I've been writing about this, that the college football is going to realign into super conferences, the haves and have-nots, and that's exactly what's happened. Uh, I think the further caveat I'd add to that, and this is my introductory essay, believe it or not, for Thinking Texas Football, which is, is discussing exactly this process and the role that Texas played in it and how Texas will benefit from it. Uh, Texas is watching a game of musical chairs from a Barca lounger. And we've got our feet kicked up and we've got a drink in our hand. And uh, if you've ever seen the movie Trading Places, <laughs> you know, how you feeling, Billy Ray? Feeling good. Uh, that's how Texas is right now. Because, And I want people to hear this and understand the framing of it. There are now two conferences that matter the Big Ten, and the SEC. 
anyone talking about things from a conference perspective, does that mean Clemson can't field a good football team or can't play for the national title? No, it does not. Uh, does that mean that Florida State can't do that, etc.? No, it does not. But any school outside of those two leagues is best understood as a one-off, meaning you evaluate the school and the program on its own merits, not from how the conference creates value for it. And I think people, once they start to frame the topic that way, will start to hear a lot less about, well, what's the number three conference now? Well, the number three conference is the third place finisher at a junior high track meet where Usain Bolt and Ben Johnson are running. I don't care. They're not in the frame of the picture at the finish line. It's, it's irrelevant. Uh, Bud Elliott from 24-7, who I think does a very good job from a national recruiting perspective, wrote a tweet and he said, there's 18 programs in college football that he's identified that have both the ability and the wherewithal and the desire and the focus to go win a national championship in college football. 18. The Big 12 will have none of them. Okay, the ACC will have three of them. All the rest are in the SEC, the Big Ten, or Notre Dame, right? That's it. That's the reality of college football. And if anyone outside of that 18 ascends, there's a good bet that the top two will try to absorb them. And in fact, we know right now the ACC, Florida State, Clemson, and North Carolina are all trying to disband that league because they're greatly dissatisfied with their own TV deal. And their TV deal extends into freaking perpetuity i mean forever it's, it's it might as well be a lifetime 2036 they've got 13 years left on and we're going to have a renegotiation of the sec and, and the big 10 before then and and those numbers you want to be a part of if you're the acc so i think people just need to frame this all up correctly i also hear people talking about brett more your mark like as this great visionary uh or the big 12 or the big winners because uh, they're going to get the corner schools you know it looks like if they add Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and then, of course, uh, Utah. Uh, no. Of that 18 schools that Bud Elliott tweeted about that said he had the ability, potential, and, and focus to win a national title, the Big 12 used to have three of them. And they were the three most valuable assets in the Big 12, not, you know, barely markedly. They made the Big 12 in terms of national interest, in terms of television sets, in terms of population, in terms of everything that you grade a school by and their attractiveness to a conference. Texas, Texas A&M, and Oklahoma. They all used to be in the Big 12, and now they're not. Now, you can replace them with these corner schools. And in fact, Bobby, these corner schools are actually more valuable than the majority of the current existing Big 12. And that's why the Big 12 TV deal, they're allowing the additions of those schools pro rata, meaning they should be able to get full equal value payouts and not just have it all split out. So I think people talking about the big 12 is playing chess and everyone, you know, they're playing checkers and they're doing the obvious thing, which is trying to, uh, you know, they're the buzzards and the jackals feasting on the pac 12 corpse and trying to find the few remaining assets. And the few remaining assets are the corner schools and they have nowhere else to go. They don't want to be in the Pac-12. Uh, the, the valuable properties of the Pac-12 are in the Big Ten. So that gets back to my original contention. There's two conferences that matter, the SEC and the Big Ten. And everything else you best understand as a one-off 
and Texas is in the SEC. And that's why we're in the SEC, because this was all very predictable. Uh, this is how it was going to happen. You know, you can complain about gravity all you like. You may not like it that if you're up on your ladder and you fall off and you fall to the ground, but gravity is an impartial force that just acts on you. Okay. So your feelings about these realignments and super conferences, this was economic gravity. And the only thing that was going to stop it or halt it was personal relationships, uh, a history of association, uh, mutual sense of cooperation, good feelings. The Big 12 had none of that, particularly with Texas. And that's the thrust of my opening essay in this preview, actually, which was talking about, hey, this was going to happen. But if it was going to be halted, it was going to be because the Big 12 showed the ability to cooperate with Texas and to a lesser extent, Oklahoma. And instead, the other Big 12 schools and the Big 12 conference, as we found out with the comments of the deputy commissioner recently, uh, effectively the COO of the Big 12, who's been in that role for nearly 10 years, Bobby. And you read that sort of babble and you read the nonsensical framing of the media with regards to Texas and the Big 12, like Texas is a bully. Texas is the only reason the Big 12 existed, period. If you don't understand that, you don't need to be commenting on this. And these are the same national college writers who were two days ago babbling about Cal and Stanford and how they're a perfect fit with the Big Ten. Bobby, these are people who fundamentally don't understand how any of this works. And they're still talking about it. And it frustrates me immensely. Uh, speaking with Paul Wadlington of Inside Texas. I get that out. No, I think that's good. I think I think people, you got to if you if you need to state a case, you state your case, right? And that's what yeah. this that's what this form is actually for. the 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 thing that I would say and ask you mentioned Cal and Stanford, and I want to get a quick feedback because there are people thinking that Stanford may just bow out of Division One college sports altogether out of this. Uh, I think that that would I don't want to say it would be a quote tragedy. Right. But it would certainly be unfortunate as a byproduct um, in some ways, because I think that that potentially takes some uh, opportunities off the off the table for some guys. But uh, your thoughts on where they are, they going to end up in the Mountain West? I mean, is that what they're going to do or or would the Big 12 take Stanford and Cal? Um, I mean, look, the Big 12 took Cincinnati. I mean, the Big 12. Central Florida, Paul, may end up making more money off their TV deal than Florida State. Yes, absolutely. Uh, in fact, two years from now, I think that's that's going to happen if Florida State's not able to, to get out of that grant of rights. Uh, look, UCF is a better, uh, probably a, one of the, like UCF and BYU are fine additions. They're okay. Uh, Houston and Cincinnati is just trying to go for volume, right? I mean, Cincinnati can't sell out their 38,000-seat stadium. Two years after going to the playoff, Bobby, they're in the 60s in TV ratings, right? In the 60s, power ranked to other FBS football teams. Uh, their athletic department, by the way, is deeply in the red. Uh, they've been having to use student tuition and fees to pay for their athletic program, which is a big no-no for a viable athletic program. The Big 12 basically saved them. Uh, and they're acting like this, they're this great addition that creates a synergy in the Big 12. I mean, they, they, the Big 12 saved this program and created a lifeline. It's why Luke Fickle ran away at the first opportunity. He could get a great job. So not to divert on that, but the four corner schools are actually going to be better 
Big 12 additions than most of the current Big 12 in terms of key demographics, fan interests, et cetera, et cetera. So look, you know, bravo to the Big 12 for playing checkers and making the obvious moves, but people acting like your marks, this amazing visionary <laughs> when he's you know, it's just, I, I just, again, the same people who keep commenting on this the most loudly don't really understand what's happening. And, and let, I, me ask you, let me ask you this, Paul, how, how does all this affect Texas? I mean, that, well, that, that, you know, and I, and I go back and forth on it a little bit. Um, yeah. Consolidating power uh, is what's happening here, right? It, that's exactly what we're talking about. Yes. Um, so is that, is that a good thing for Texas football? Is that a good thing for the sport? Um, it's definitely upsetting the ecosystem that has been fairly beneficial for Texas and its fans for a century. Um, how much contraction into maybe 64 or 35 teams matter as opposed to 60 to 70 teams matter? Well, that's a great question, Bobby. And so my points that I'm making are not a, a promotion or a validation of what's happening. The reason I use the comparison to gravity is it's a thing that is happening and exists so you can acknowledge it and live your life accordingly, or you can resist it because you don't like how it works. And so would Texas rather be in the power broker group in the two conferences that I say are the only two conferences that frankly matter and the distance is only increasing? Or do you want to be on the outside looking in, uh, you know, looking way, way far away in saying, well, we don't like what's happening to college football. I don't like a lot of the things that are happening with college football. They're happening. Uh, you know, I, I love the movie Braveheart. And uh, there's a, a great scene where the uncle, Argyle, comes back to pick up a young William Wallace after his father and his older brother have been killed in battle. And his uh, William, you know, Uncle Argyle says, hey, we'll rest tonight and tomorrow we'll leave. And William Wallace says, well, I don't want to go. And he goes, I, you probably didn't want your father and older brother die, to die either, but it happened. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. So you may not like all this stuff happening, but it happened. So do you want to be in the two conferences that matter or do you not want to be in the two conferences that matter? Well, the answer is fairly obvious. Uh, the rest of it, you know, I have similar ambivalence like a lot of other college football fans. I, I like some of the amateur aspects of college football and what makes it unique and distinct. 
Uh, and I think we're seeing an acceleration into some uncharted lands that we don't even know fully the effects that we're going to have on some of this. But this natural bifurcation, this this complete reordering of college football and, and major college athletics, it was all predictable. It is what is going to happen. It is gravity. And so the question is, do you resist it or do you try to find a way to make it palatable and work with it? All right. Speaking with Paul Wallington, Paul. Uh, I want you to say thank you to our advertiser. But first, I want you to be thinking in the back of your head. I want you to ask me a couple of questions since I've been at the last couple of practices. You do a good job of kind of asking some good questions. I want you to do that so the fans get some insight there. But first, please say thank you to our sponsor. Absolutely. Hey, our sponsor is Gabe Winslow. He is outstanding at what he does. And the forces of gravity don't act on mortgage rates, but what you need in any a tumultuous time with respect to interest rates is the best possible asset on your side. Uh, there's only two conferences that matter. There's only one mortgage guy in the state of Texas that matters. His name's Gabe Winslow. You give him a call, 832-557-1095, UT grad, uh, super passionate, and uh, really, really sharp egg. Uh, he's a guy that you definitely need to talk to. Even if you're just speculating, uh, you're not ready to move or buy a house, Hey, talk to him, lay out a financial plan, and figure out the best way to work this market. Uh, he is the asset that's going to help it get it, done, get it done for you. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thank you, Gabe Winslow. Uh, www.mortgagesbygabe.com. All right, uh, Paul, feel free. Let's uh, talk a little uh, Texas sprint, uh, fall practice. I'm excited because I've got a bunch of questions for you. And I've got one that I want to frame up a little bit and then throw out to you in a different way. Bobby, I think you and I agree that Edge one specifically one edge position is, is something we're a little bit concerned about. We also know that last year, Texas did a good job of getting pressure on the quarterback, but they didn't complete the play. They couldn't get him on the ground. And I'm starting to wonder, I guess the way I'm asking this is I feel like part of Texas's problem last year was a lack of quickness at edge, which is what allows you to finish those plays because very often we envision pass pressure as the edge runs around the corner untouched and gets a sack. That's not really what happens. Typically, the pocket breaks down, and then one of your two quicker edges or a blitzing linebacker or a secondary guy runs down the quarterback as he's fleeing the pocket. He, right? clean, he cleans it up. He cleans it up. I'm, I wonder, do we have a guy who can be the cleanup guy? when we get the pressure inside that, that defensive tackle group, or even Baron Sorrell brings a little and, and disrupts the pocket, but doesn't complete the play. Do we have a chaser? Do we have the finisher who can complete the play? Well, Ethan Burke can do that. And Anthony Hill could do that. Jeray Bledsoe could probably do that. Mm -hmm. That's not the problem. The problem is none of those guys are ready to play against the run. In my opinion, a big time run team. And so, Yes, they have some of the go those guys, and those sack numbers may go up because of it, because any of those three could have more sacks, or all three of them, by the way, could have more sacks than what Ovia Gufu had last year. Yeah. Just to be really clear. Yeah. So that would be my, my vantage point. I think that it's very, very clear that they have those guys. They're just young and not ready up against the run. Sorrell is, is the one that – you know, Sark feels like he might get to eight, eight plus sacks this year, up from five point five. I mean, I, I continue to think he's going to be a good player for Texas again this year. He looks even better again this fall. 
let me ask you, when, when you look at the interior offensive line, do you see a path for effectively a, a rotation at guard early in the season until someone asserts themselves and takes the job? Or do you think they're going to try to sort this all out by August 28th? I think there's going to be both. They're going to have it half sorted is my guess. Um, and then they're going to play them all. I, I bet if I were a betting person right now, DJ Campbell starts at right guard while Cole Hudson uh, is the backup center and guard mm-hmm. and gets rotated in some. Left guard, I think they stick with Hayden Connor to start, but with heavy reps from Neto Umiozulu. And that, that is a big, big, big position that I'm looking for because Hayden Connor has reshaped his body even better. Still not saying, I still just don't see him have the upside of Neto. Um, Neto is a powerful net. You can say naturally powerful. Obviously he's worked hard to get where he's at, but some guys are just stronger with their hands than other guys. And it doesn't matter how much you work at it, you know, Um, that's the real battle. I think, um, especially as, as Cole Hudson, I really believe they want him to be the heir apparent at center at this point. Hmm. Yeah. So it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both for you, Paul. The thing I've noticed with Hayden Connor is he's not sticky on his block. He's not he's sticky. What? Sticky. He makes contact, wrestles around for about a second, and the guy slides off him. He's not as athletic. Yeah, and, that, and I, that's, that's what I'm wondering is, is it a lack of pop at the initial strike or is it that he's he's not athletic enough to keep his feet and, and bring his feet, as an O-line coach likes to say, when the defender it's, keeps it's, it's both. It's both. Like Cole Hudson uh, can move people. Yeah. I'll give you an example. He's not the most athletic guy. You know, he would probably tell you, I'm not, I'm not DJ Campbell athletically doesn't mean I can't move people as well as, as Hayden Connor doesn't move people and he's not quite as athletic. He's just big. So he gets in the way really well. Um, they're just different types of players in my opinion. Is, is Jure Bledsoe a legitimate possibility at edge or do, or do we, we still think his long-term course might be inside, but is he a legitimate option at edge to maybe, flash and and bring some of his athleticism onto the field somewhere if he can i think he's more more likely to be at edge than than at inside at this point okay um given the way baron sorrell's body looks right now i mean sorrell looks bigger than bledsoe just to give you a a vantage point you know so why wouldn't if you're going to keep sorrell outside why wouldn't you keep bledsoe outside I mean, Bledsoe has not gained a lot of weight, Paul. So he's not bulking up. Um, and frankly, he's a better athlete than, than Sorrell. Um, and so he's quicker. The question I have, again, he's young. It's just like Ethan Burke, just like Colton Vosick. There's not a lot of seasoning there. Um, he could be the long-term answer. Will he be the long-term answer? You know, he needs to learn how to play that position at a high level. Um, 
Ethan Burke and Colton Vosick and even Justice Finkley have played that position before and really know the ins and outs of it. Jeray Bledsoe came in from a small school, has has looked got a look at defensive end and defensive tackle. They need to stick with him in one position and make it happen. Because if and when they do and the light bulb comes on for him, he's as talented as any lineman they have in the program. But he has to work and he has to find a role. He has to get in there and be smart and uh, go hard at it. I want to switch over into the secondary really quick. Uh, a couple things struck me. I was watching some video. Saw Derek Williams. <laughs> uh, the young freshman safety from Louisiana, one of the top-ranked recruits out of that state. Uh, he's everything that was promised, uh, the people that I've talked to, about how he looks, how he's filling out. He, he looks the part, Bobby. Uh, I'm curious about so two questions. One, do you think he could be in the two deep? And then two... I noticed that they've split Ryan Watts and Terrence Brooks. They had them prior competing against each other. And I was, I know you and I were debating back and forth about that. I said, you know, Ryan Watts, I don't think you can take him off the field just because of his veteran presence, multitude of reasons, right? But it makes sense to split Terrence Brooks on the other side and let him fight for a real chance to, to have Texas have these two big physical corners, uh, what do you think about that? And then what does that mean for the great depth behind them, you know, Gavin Holmes and, and Manny Muhammad? So not to overload you with two questions there, but can Derek Williams break the two deep at safety? And yeah. then, yes, uh, but but for, let me talk about home, uh, uh, Williams. So there's two guys in the secondary that are freshmen that just look like different people. Yep. Derek Williams and Jelani McDonald's. They, you look at them and you think Legion of Boom from the Seahawks. I mean, that's what you – you look at them, you're like, wow. My heart just fluttered, Bobby. I know. You just Hold think on. length. I mean, like supreme length on both of those guys. Um, I do think he can get in the two deep. I don't necessarily think he will. Um, they are not particularly talented behind the first two at safety. Okay. The next most talented guy, in my opinion, is B.J. Allen right now. Uh, Keaton Crawford is not necessarily – he's just not a safety. Um. Uh, as far as, so I think he can get there. I don't necessarily know that he will because Michael Taft's there and he knows everything. He knows all the plays. Uh, you know, you have other guys that have been around. Larry Turner Gooden has been, knows all the plays. BJ Allen has talked about him. So working your way into that, can he get there? Yes. Will he get there in 30 days? I doubt it. Um, at corner, I just don't think he can keep Terrence Brooks off the field. Mm hmm. It's not that you can't – that you got to have Ryan Watts on the field, by the way. I mean, Terrence Brooks uh, is – looks that good. Not, not to diminish anyone else in the corner room. Uh, he has taken another step forward. The issue I have is how do you get Gavin Holmes on the field because I do think that he's the one corner that can turn and run better than anybody. Terrence Brooks will stay in front of a guy and move them off route. Terrence Brooks does not have the long speed that Gavin Holmes does. So I'm interested to see how they play, for example, Oklahoma, when Oklahoma is going to try to run a bunch of vertical routes. So that's, you know, playing with Gavin Holmes in that game might be smart. 
You know, it's funny, Bobby. Uh, Ian and I were conjecturing about this back in May, back in April, uh, about the idea that there's a lot of reasons, and you just outlined several of them, that this sounds like a very dime-friendly personnel grouping, uh, particularly with the size up front. And, the you know, you have a legitimate group of four defensive tackles that uh, collectively you put up against about anybody, right, as a group, not the two t- – not necessarily the two top frontline starters or NFL first round draft picks, but you know, Trill Carter is a, a 24 game starter at Minnesota and he's our number four defensive tackle, right? I don't know that he's number four. Yeah. Well, that's a great, actually, I, great I think he may be number three based on what I thought. Like Alfred Collins still doesn't look real strong at the point of attack. It's not hmm. that he's weak. He just looks like he's more of a pass rusher at that, at, at that position. Trill Carter and, and bag drills, has strong hands, mean hands, um, quick off the ball, low center of gravity. I I wrote uh, on Friday uh, that I felt like uh, the thing with with Trill Carter is, you know, he's like those Iowa State defensive tackles that are just kind of pesky mm-hmm. and kind of get, you know, get in the muck, you know. And I I, I like him a lot. Uh, I think he's a natural defensive tackle too, whereas Alfred Collins is is not real natural at that position. uh, So it's just not. So Interesting. Well, at least you have some positional flexibility there depending on the opponent, down a distance, game situation, right? Yep, yep. Uh, Hey, Paul, if you have any more questions, fire them at at me. we got another week uh, under our belts here with the Saturday conversation, dude. Uh, I appreciate you very much. Uh, I'll uh, remember your talk about gravity uh, as I <laughs> as I uh, see what happens here with the the rest of this uh, uh, crazy crazy world we live right in right now in college sports. So, uh, Paul, thanks, buddy. Uh, it's been a good thirty minutes, man. Hey, likewise, I could do this all day. Uh, look forward to our next conversation. All right, we'll have it on Saturday, the Saturday conversation next week. That's Paul Wadlington of Inside Texas. Uh, don't forget about his book. Thinking Texas Football. You can get that on Amazon and elsewhere where it's sold. Uh, For Paul, I'm Bobby Burton. Thanks for watching.